You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host Jason. This is your co-host Danny. And we have a fun feel show for you today, fans. Look, we're going to talk about the NFL, the free agencies, and then we're going to go into none other than March Madness. Oh, how it feels good to have it back. We're going to talk about our initial reactions to the Bucks trade, and then we have a very intriguing trading card scenario for you, college edition. But first to the NFL, this has been an outstanding free agent season. There's been some surprises. There's been some things expected. But man, this has just been outstanding. I love the fact that the NFL decided to kind of switch things around and where now it begins with the free agencies. And then it will go into the likes of the NFL draft. When years past, it's been uh, the complete reverse. This makes a little bit more sense, in my opinion. You fill in the needs based upon the veterans that's available, and then you go ahead and plug additional holes uh, with the uh, younger talent. So this is going to be very interesting. It has been very interesting so far. Some of the surprises, uh, the Green Bay Packers, I am so elated that they have re-signed Aaron Jones. Uh, I think that was a very, very good move. For two reasons. One, I believe it satisfies Aaron Rodgers. You got to keep him happy to some degree. And to have that offensive weapon, to have a running back that is agile, who can run in between the tackles, he can also catch a ball out of the backfield uh, as well. So I think that bodes well for Aaron Rodgers. But two, we need that weapon because unless the Green Bay Packers get another speed receiver or some additional speed on the field, to me, Aaron Jones is it. Now, you do have MVS out there, and he's coming into his own. Uh, He's finally catching the ball on a consistent basis. It took him a while (laughs) last Mm -hmm. season to get to that point. Hopefully that transitions into uh, this particular year. But to have Aaron Jones a consistent catcher of the football out of the backfield I think bodes well so I'm happy for that but on the flip side to it Lindsley has decided to sign with the Chargers so that's something off of your offensive line I think though the way the Packers tend to utilize their offensive line period of years they've been able to interchange those pieces on an offensive line so I think they're going to be okay I can see them probably drafting uh, an old lineman or two um, just to go ahead and restock, if you will, fortify that offensive line. But I think that, you know, the Packers are, have done pretty okay this year. I mean, they've restructured contracts, uh, extended some all to, you know, get up underneath that salary cap, uh, the hard cap. And I think the Packers are going to do pretty well. Uh, I'm happy so far. In no way do I feel that they're done. I think they still need some help on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, And you know me, Danny. I've been saying this for a long time. They need to get another receiver 
I don't know if they're going to do that in their free agency market or if they're going to just go ahead and draft mm -hmm. a good quality receiver. I'm not talking about no receiver in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. I'm talking about a good quality receiver within the top two rounds and be able to pay that receiver and have that receiver under that rookie deal for an extended period of time. So I think the Packers so far so good. Uh, we did lose uh, the likes of Tim Boyle, the backup quarterback to the Detroit Lions. And we also lost the running back there, Paul Williams to the Lions as well. But I, I think we're, we'll be good at the running back position. Packers have been doing relatively okay. No big splashes, no big surprises in my opinion, but nonetheless, I still think they have to make uh, several more moves. What say you, Danny? So a couple of things, Jason, I'll start with my Falcons. We've been pretty quiet in free agency. There's been more restructuring deals to get under that cap, which you mentioned. One person in particular, Matt Ryan, had his deal restructured, which opened up approximately $21 million. But, this is a big but, that means next year his cap number goes up to like over $40 million. So what that tells me is Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. And we're stuck with Matt Ryan for the next two years. <laughs> so I am hoping that Arthur Smith and his scheme can benefit Matt Ryan because they're going to be stuck with him. And I'm curious now what they're going to do in the draft at that pick four. If they're going to stay there and select a quarterback like everyone was thinking, or are they going to take someone different like a Pitts or Jamar Chase or someone like that or the offensive lineman Sewell? Or are they going to fall back and gather more picks? So I'm very curious now on their draft strategy. They did make one move. They made a trade for the tight end out of Buffalo, Lee Smith. And he's more of a blocker. So solidify with the blocking and the line because, you know, the line has had some issues last year. So I think that's a pretty good move, actually, um, just for a, a late round pick. And the other thing of note is they're planning to restructure some more deals. To open up some more cap space. So I'm looking at Julio Jones, Deion Jones, and possibly one or two other Falcons that they may have to do that with to open up some more space to give them that flexibility. So that is what's happening in Atlanta. And then a couple other observations here, Jason, we can talk through real quick. Mm -hmm. Patriots, they backed up the Brinks truck, man. <laughs> so this is going to be very interesting. Uh, some of the pieces they brought in, and Johnu Smith, Hunter Henry, some defensive players, Judon, uh, a couple others. And then they bring back all the people that opted out for COVID as well. So very interesting to see what they do there. And they also brought back Cam. Any thoughts on the Patriots, Jason? Man, you are so right, Danny. The New England Patriots have backed up the bringers truck in this free agency period, man. Uh, not only with what you mentioned, but Nelson Aguilar coming over from the Las Vegas Raiders to the Patriots uh, as a wide receiver, two-year, $26 million contract. Man, they are going for it. And I think, honestly, when Belichick saw Brady get that chip, hey, he was like, you know what? The hell with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we need to make this run. And we got to think about this, Danny. A lot of defensive players opted out of last year mm -hmm. and they're coming back this year. So that's going to fortify their defense even more immediately. 
I mean, you got these players coming off of one year of rest of their bodies. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. So this is going, going to be very, very intriguing to see, especially in that AFC East, Danny, because I have to say this. One of the signings that has been really eye-opener for me uh, was Will Fuller signing with Miami Dolphins. And the Packers wanted him at one point, or they were really going for him at one point. But, man, the Miami Dolphins getting Fuller, man, that is going to be very interesting to watch down there in Miami. He really am intrigued with what Miami is doing. Uh, I wonder how that quarterback position is going to really play out. And is it uh, foreshadowing for Deshaun Watson to be going to Miami? Exactly. There's whole, a whole lot of allegations uh, right now against Deshaun Watson. Uh, I have to phrase allegations. Um, but, man, it's just really interesting. I wanted to see how this really plays out. But, man, Miami is really going for it themselves. AFC East is going to be very interesting to watch. And finally, the Dolphins are competing in the AFC East again. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, But just, you know, throughout here, Danny, it's just been so many other, you know, surprise signings. We can speak to a whole lot of them. It will take forever (laughs) because (laughs) we're so in in tune with some of these things, man. But I'll, I'll just say this. We are witnessing, I believe, a... Uh, a moment here in the NFL in where what I believe is a game-changing moment. I think what we're seeing, and there's just been a whole lot of quarterbacks that have changed teams mm-hmm. that have offered up the fact that they wouldn't mind being traded. These are the teams I want to be traded to. Mm-hmm. They're being more forceful. And this is really familiar to obviously what we have seen over the years in the NBA. And so I just wonder about how this is going to really work out for the NFL players, especially in the upcoming collective bargaining agreement. So something to keep your eye on. But I think we are witnessing a moment here in the NFL in where it's starting to kind of be like this a little bit, just a little bit like the NBA and how the star players in the NBA sometimes forces them themselves out of a situation or out of an organization to another one and the organization really obliges to it so we'll see what happens but man this is a great free agency period can't wait for uh, more to see and now a quick discussion about our milwaukee bucks and where they have made a trade they made a trade for pj tucker and where they're going to trade away the djs DJ Augustine and also DJ Wilson. They're going down to the Houston Rockets. And then Torrey Craig is going to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for some cash. And so my initial thought, quite honestly, I actually have no problem with it, Danny. Okay. Uh, I think that when we talk about PJ Tucker, one of the things that we know about PJ Tucker is that he is a very good defensive player. He can guard uh, from position three to five. Uh, that's proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can switch very well and the corner three. So I think that the Bucks were looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, 
we can build from a defensive standpoint, especially as we want to play against the likes of potentially Brooklyn Nets and also the Philadelphia 76ers. So we're going to need that extra defensive help. DJ Wilson wasn't even playing for the Bucks, in my opinion. Unfortunately, I think he got done wrong, in my opinion, in his career here with the Milwaukee Bucks. I've seen flashes of good play when he played consistently. And next thing you know, when that would happen, he wouldn't play for a number of games. It's like, where did he go? What did he do at practice or what did he say behind the scenes that we just don't know about? I mean, is he in the doghouse? What? Yep. And we just didn't have, we just wouldn't see him for a number of games. And then all of a sudden we would see him and it's like, he, he regressed because he hadn't played so long. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that he get he gets consistent minutes and really improves his game from that standpoint. And so with DJ Augustine, one of the, one of the surprising things of his contract that he signed, it was, uh, actually, for this year, about six and a half million, six point six million dollars, and then next year would have been seven million dollars. When you think about that, getting that off the books now, I think that really frees up the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, we're looking at not only DJ Augustine's uh, contract, but DJ Wilson's contract as well. I mean, this year he was getting paid four point five million dollars. When you think about it, it's kind of like, okay, well, now we have the opportunity to come up underneath the cap just a little bit. We have the opportunity to maybe sign uh, players at a veteran's minimum and, you know, make this playoff run. Yep. I think DJ Augustine was coming into his own with the team. He started, in my opinion, really starting to play pretty well uh, coming off the bench. And I think what Coach Bud will do is shrink his shrink his roster a little bit in the playoff and have the likes of Giannis continue to bring the ball up. Middleton, of course, Drew, maybe Dante bring the ball up at times. So uh, I think he's looking at that a little bit more to, to really get some additional defensive help, uh, especially with all the switching that they're trying to do. Um, so interesting trade, Danny. What, what about you? How are your thoughts? Jason, I'm torn a little bit on the trade. P.J. Tucker's older, so I'm very curious how much he has left in the tank when the Bucks get to the playoffs. How much does P.J. Tucker have in the tank? If this was when he was like 31, 32, I think it's a good deal. Right now, uh, I'm back and forth on it, man, because I think over the last couple of years, man, he's had to play a lot of minutes and a lot of minutes against some big players because they had him there small ball. So I'm worried that he's going to wear down. They just, I think they still need, man, George Hill would be perfect for him. Yes. I think yes. if they, and we talked about this way back in the day, that was one of the things I brought up when he went to Oklahoma city initially was, or in that, when they traded him was, will he get bought out and get brought back? Mm-hmm. So if you can get someone back like that, then I guess I can be all right with the trade from their perspective. I need to see what else they have planned. Trading deadline is next Thursday that they can still, something still may happen. So I want to see what else they do to fill the roster or if they're going to do make a move and then uh, I'll make my, then I'll have my decision made for me.
And now to our discussion on March Madness, Danny. It is finally here. Man, we missed out last year uh, with the COVID situation uh, just starting at that point in time. And we are now here, have to admit, with COVID and everything, I just haven't been really in tune to college basketball as much as I was uh, in years past. But when March Madness started to really roll around, man, I started to watch some of the conference tournaments and just mm-hmm. to kind of get reacclimated. And man, there has been just so many amazing games as usual. So this is this year, uh, it is in a bubble in Indianapolis, in where there are several sites within the Indianapolis area. The games are actually being played. I filled out my bracket. I was excited even though some of the th- brackets or some of the games, I had no clue of who to pick. <laughs> Sometimes it was like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and pick the highest ranked. I should have probably looked a little bit more into what the Vegas odds were for some of the games. It just felt good to fill out a bracket. I mean, this is in the fra- fabric of the United States, man. Every time it comes around March, yep. as sports fans, it is in our DNA. So, I have my bracket filled out, Danny. I got my final four set uh, and everything. But before we get into it, Danny, how do you feel about the March Madness? Jason, same here, man. It's like a void from a hoop fan perspective. You just miss it because it's something always to look forward to because you know everyone's playing hard. Everyone's trying to get to that championship game, and they're giving it their all, man. So this year is a little different as far as the tournament starts officially on Friday. The first four is tonight. But usually it's on a Tuesday, so things shifted a little bit. So that Thursday opening day is different now. So it goes Friday through Monday, and then next weekend is Saturday through Tuesday. So they'll have those primetime games on Monday and Tuesday. But I'm very curious, with it being located in the Indy area, and they have at Purdue, Bloomington, IUPUI, Lucas Oil, Butler, and I may be missing, or I think where the Pacers play. Yep. Banker's life. Banker's life. Mm-hmm. So how does that impact teams with that happening? That being said, I'm very curious on this being in one location and teams, what advantage teams may have. And I'm talking about the teams that are located close to those arenas. So the Purdue's, yep. Ohio State, teams like that, Michigan. So the Midwest teams, Ohio, U. So that's what I'm looking at, man. And then you just don't know. Yep. So anything can happen. Anything can happen in this type of format. Because usually you have that hometown feel for those first few rounds. Because usually they try to put the top tier teams closer to home. But now they're not there. So how does that impact? Uh, but now, Jason, I got to hear who your final four who you selected for the final four, and then I'll give you and, mine. And before I get into that, Danny, I, I wanted to add on to what you just said. So one of the things I wish the bracket that I'm in would have done is actually indicate where exactly some of the games will be played. Because to your point, how is it going to impact the uh, teams in, in terms of mm-hmm. the playing location or specifically the playing arena. I think those who are going to be playing at Lucas Oil Stadium 
which is where the Indianapolis Colts play, those who play in that particular stadium is going to be at a disadvantage because the background is going to be completely different. This the wide open space is not that atmosphere is going to be completely different. So I'm wondering if they're going to just save Lucas Oil Stadium for just the Final Four mm-hmm. and not necessarily allow them to play in there for normal games, if you will. Bankers Life Fieldhouse. That's where the Indiana Pacers play. It's a perfect, perfect arena for a game situation. Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, where Butler is, great uh, arena. And so from Indianapolis to Purdue, it's about a 45-minute drive. To Bloomington, I would give that about a good 45, Mm -hmm. nah, like I said, about maybe an hour drive. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting how they do that. But if they're playing games in Lucas Oil Stadium, I think that's going to be a completely disadvantage um, to both teams. But it could be detrimental even more to one versus the other. Um, so that I'll be kind of curious. I wish the brackets would have indicated exactly where or what arena they're going to be played at. But to my final four pick, Danny, and I absolutely hate doing this. <laughs> I, I try to stray away. I, I still have a little bit of time before everything is uh, has started. So I can still make some changes here and there. I do have some upsets throughout the bracket. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I have all the number one seeds going into the final four. Okay. So I have Gonzaga playing Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then I have Baylor playing Illinois. I think the Big Ten is going to do very well in this bracket this season overall kind of hard for me to really pick against Michigan because Mm -hmm. they just have a solid team. Juwan Howard, he has done an excellent job uh, with Michigan. So that's going to be really intriguing. I picked Gonzaga to beat Michigan though. Okay. uh, To advance to the finals. And then that Baylor Illinois game, man, I, it, I got to put at least one Big Ten school in the finals. So I did put Illinois uh, in the finals with Illinois actually winning the title. My score prediction is 67 to 62. I got fighting Illini going a little different here, man. Going a little different. So who do you have, Danny? I have, for my final four, I have Gonzaga, Florida State, Illinois, and Arkansas. So my reasoning was a little worried about Michigan with their injury or injuries they have going into the tournament. Not how, sure how much that's going to impact them yet. We don't know anything. When you get into this tournament, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. So it could be too. This is where I get nervous with Gonzaga and some of these brackets where you can submit the bracket or whatever. Gonzaga's chalk. So if you go against that and – and whoever you pick to beat them, like Missouri, you, you're done right off top. So you got to ride with Gonzaga all the way, at least to the Final Four, in my opinion. Illinois, I feel pretty good about them. They do scare me about their free throw shooting. And you just, like I said, you just don't know. And Arkansas, initially I had Purdue. I was going with the hometown team. <laughs> because I, I have a funny feeling about Baylor, man. I they they kind of struggle a little bit at the end mm-hmm. where they're Gonzaga did the same thing. 
they should have been beat a couple times in those last few games. So I decided, I'm like, all right, I can't go chalk. I was very tempted to, though. I'm not going to lie. So I was like, let me just switch it up and see. In Florida State, I like Leonard Hamilton. Yep. They've been close a couple times, and I think this may be their opportunity here to take advantage. That being said, I'm taking the same as you. I took Illinois to win it. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> and the only reason I do that is, and I do this every year, is I always want to pick, I'm going to ride with the number one team, the number one seeded team. And we will see, man. Gonzaga hasn't been, we'll see what happens with Gonzaga if they get under some pressure. I'm very excited to sit down and watch some ball this weekend. And Danny, I think one of the upsets, it's interesting you mentioned Florida State. One of the upsets that I had in the very first round was Georgetown actually over Colorado. So that 5-12 seed. And mm-hmm. I picked Georgetown to advance against, to play against Florida State. And I actually have Florida State moving on. But listen, the job that Patrick Ewing is doing over at Georgetown is absolutely phenomenal. I am so happy for Patrick Ewing to not be able to get a coaching job in the NBA where he was NBA assistant for so many years, man. And for him to finally break through to become a coach at his alma mater. And that alone to me, I'm really hoping that Georgetown pulls out this first round game against Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is one of my upsets, man. Uh, So we'll see what happens, man, but kudos to Georgetown for, for making it on through. And my hope is that they advance at least through that first round, man. Sorry, Colorado fans. We have a very interesting and collegiate trading card scenario. Danny, what we got? All right, Jason, Uh, two scenarios tonight. First scenario is from the University of Michigan. We selected two players, one being Chris Weber, the other being Glenn Rice. Quick bios on the two of them and from their collegiate careers. Weber left after his sophomore year. He averaged 19 points, 10 boards, had two averaged two assists, two-time NCAA All-Tourney team, one-time All-Big Ten, 1992 Big Ten Rookie of the Year. Glenn Rice. Played all four years at Michigan. Left after the 1989 season. Averaged 25 points and six boards in his final season. Was an NCAA champion. One-time NCAA All-Tourney team. Two-time All-Big Ten. One-time player of the Big Ten Player of the Year. And was the NCAA Tourney Most Outstanding Player. So, Jason, if we're looking at this from a collegiate perspective, who do you want in your portfolio? Danny, the fans know where I'm going with this. We're in the college game. Look here, Danny. Who can really ever forget about the Fab Five? The Fab Five was a phenomenon. To to me, it really showed how a university can really come up financially with national exposure, the way the Fab Five really had done. And so... The most anticipated or one of the most anticipated 30 for 30s by ESPN was that of the Fab Five. Chris Webber obviously was a part of the Fab Five and where the Fab Five went to the NCAA Final Four and ultimately to the championship 
game, not once but twice. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they lost, and unfortunately, one of the games came down to uh, Chris Webber calling a timeout that didn't exist. Huge controversy, still controversial to this day. Mm-hmm. Controversy, if you will, surrounding uh, Chris Webber and things of that nature with University of Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go into the details. You all seen it 30 for 30. The long shorts, like you said, the black socks, the on-the-court enthusiasm. Some would call it something completely different. A lot of the announcers really went in on the Fab Five and just their joy of being on the court. Just their whole moxie, their, just their whole swag. On the court, right? And so, man, it, it started with, with with the Fab Five. I mean, Chris Webber was absolutely phenomenal, man. You talk about a center dominating mm-hmm. down low. And then you have Glenn Rice. Man, Glenn Rice was phenomenal, man. I mean, inside, outside game. I mean, was just lighting them up. And you heard fans, Danny, say, 25 a game. Come on, man. His senior year. He stayed all four years. But Danny, you know, Glenn Rice, the big thing that Glenn Rice has is a championship. It's really hard to go against that. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's kind of like a decision or a choice between a championship versus a phenomenon. At this point in time, I have to go with the championship. So with that, I'm going with Glenn Rice. C Webb was a great college player. I wish he would have stayed one more year. He was dominant, but he still, I thought, needed one more year in college and and staying with the Fab Five. There are some things swirling around, but I think if he would have stayed one more year, they would have won the championship, and his game could have improved a little bit more because his free throw shooting was shaky. His jumper was starting to come into his own, things like that. So – that's where when I look at Glenn Rice, and I just remember that jumper man was just wet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. Yep, it was automatic, man. <laughs> <laughs> you remember back into the championship game, man, when mm-hmm. they played Seton Hall. Glenn Rice, man, he could play. He could play, man. He could play, man. <laughs> and just everything that surrounded him at the university, as far as all the accolades, I I'm going to agree with you here. I'm going with Glenn Rice as well, just due to him getting the championship. But from a collegiate standpoint, I thought he was a better player just due to him being a senior. Like I said, C-Webb would have stayed to that junior year. No one would have stopped him. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think they would have finally got that championship and got over the hump. But I'm going to go Glenn Rice as well. And now to our... Surprisingly, second trading card scenario, collegiate trading card scenario. What we got, Danny? So, Jason, we're highlighting the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, as they're called now. And the two players we have are Kendall Gill and Nick Anderson. So, quick bios. Kendall Gill played all four seasons with the fight in Illini, uh, left after the 90 season. And that last season, he averaged 20 points, five boards, and three assists. And he was all Big Ten in 1990. Nick Anderson left after the 1989 season after his sophomore year, and he averaged in that year 18 points, seven boards, and two assists. 
He was also all Big Ten in 1989. So, Jason, who are you taking? Man, this was a tough one because I'm looking at Kendall Gill's stats here, and I'm just thinking about that era and where it was for him mid to late 80s. And looking at his stats, one of the blaring things um, for me is Kendall Gill shot like 45, 46% from the three-point line, man. Mm-hmm. his junior year and that's off of like three and a half attempts a game versus that of Nick Anderson where we've known Nick Anderson to really shoot lights out from the three in the NBA but in college he shot best at 36 percent so that was just interesting but Man, this was a tough one. To me, this is kind of one of those where you kind of almost flip the coin. But in my portfolio, I I would have to go with Nick Anderson. The reason why I would do that is because Nick Anderson in his translation into the into the NBA, a recognizable name, he ultimately went to the uh, NBA Finals with Shaq uh, and Penny. Mm-hmm. with that team and that's and i really believe him leaving after you know two years with the fighting illini i think that that name recognition really bodes well but kendall gill and in that team in the fighting illini those four years they were good yes they were they were good man so but with this for my portfolio i have to go with nick anderson all right jason the nickname was the flying illini Back in the day, if you remember that, when it was oh, yeah. yep. Kendall Gill, Nick Anderson, Kenny Battle, mm-hmm. Stephen Bardo, mm-hmm. with the top four players. And we did consider Kenny Battle in this as well, because Kenny Battle could hoop as well. Mm-hmm. So it yes. was, yes. So he was in strong consideration for this topic of discussion. But looking at the two, the run they made, and by the way, Guess who knocked them out of the Final Four in 1989? The Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> I was pulling. I remember that back in the day, man. I was pulling for the uh, Illinois because that team was fun to watch, man. Mm-hmm. They were very much so fun to watch. They were, they were a great team, and it was unfortunate they ended up losing. Similar to how the Illinois lost when they had D. Brown and Darren Williams. So it was always something about the Illini, and that's where I'm hoping they – they do something this year for my bracket purposes as well. But there's always something special about the Illini for whatever reason. And in this scenario, I think I'm going to have to go with Nick Anderson as well, just due to even project. He left as a sophomore and his numbers were great. He led that team as a sophomore and it translated well going into the NBA. Kendall Gill had a great career. The one thing from a collegiate perspective, he did get hurt. So that impacted the number of games he played. That was his, I believe, junior year. He got hurt. We both went Glenn Rice and Nick Anderson, Jason. But in these in these uh, scenarios, they're definitely very close. It's like 1A, 1B. Mm-hmm. So it was very tough as well for me to make that decision, but I'm going to ride with what you had here and um, go with Nick Anderson. There you have it. Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at 
back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backporchtalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backporchtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.